You're listening to audio from the Decidedly podcast. This episode is a highlight clip from this week's full episode. To listen in on the complete conversation, see the show notes for the link to the complete show. You can help us out by giving us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate every bit of your support. Please note that this week's episode includes topics of a sensitive nature. If you or someone you love is experiencing thoughts of suicide, please seek help. You can do so by calling 1-800-273-8255 or texting HOME to 741-741. Both are available 24 hours a day, free, confidential, and will connect you to a trained counselor in your area. I'm Morgan, your producer. This is Decidedly. transferred to Skid Row to work with homeless, uh, mentally ill clientele. And we were working out of essentially a double wide trailer. So talk about like, uh, like professional fall from grace was, was my perception. So this is sort of a a semi-permanent facility set up near where uh, a lot of homeless folks or people who are needing more uh, direct attention. Or, or housing? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Los Angeles uh, has the highest per capita, I think, uh, missions located for homeless individuals. So, okay. uh, so, yeah, so they had, while building a clinic, set up like temporary structures. Okay. And it's not something that professionals, like often, right, if you seek to work in Beverly Hills or to work with professional athletes, it's not glamorous. Uh, so while down there, I make a long story short, uh, one of my colleagues, first of all, was an excellent cartoonist on the side. And the only way to give a patient like an appointment, you got about a 10 minute, 15 minute session. If you got a room, you were lucky. If you got a dumpster, you were lucky, a staircase. You give them a post-it note that said, you know, Dr. O, 622, 3 p.m., right? And it's scribbled up. They put it in their pocket with all their belongings. They come back in and they hand it through the ticket window so and someone with a microphone like yours sean would say you know sean your three o'clock is here so they couldn't read the doctor oh so eventually they started paging doctor zero so (laughs) so so you know we thought you know but it gave a little bit in short meaning to this like the character who went from kind of Skid Row to Beverly Hills every day. I was kind of taking my cape off and getting dirty. Yeah. And at the same time, getting a real mental health. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it sounds like a Bond villain name, you know? I mean, this Dr. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's a Bond villain. You know, you, you had mentioned that the uh, County of Los Angeles had more missions and facilities to help homeless. This may be a chicken or egg question. Do you think that that has, was that driven out of a need because there was a large homeless population? Or do you think that that has been more of a magnet to people who need that type of support? Like which which comes first? It's a great question. And I couldn't help as being someone in this job to be asking myself every day. I mean, you go to like some of these great facilities in Santa Monica and you see people who come in, you look at their driver's license from, middle of the country and you say, you know, they were resourceful enough to get on a Greyhound bus and whether it be the weather, the quality of life, if you're without a home and the amount of services that you could get. So it is hard to know which is first, probably quality of life in some way, because I think it's really hard to accept help if you are homeless and mentally ill. It may be really hard to trust depending on the level of trauma you've been through. Um, 
so the net result right now is that now they're integrating, right? There were the missions to house people, but there wasn't the treatment or you'd have the mental health without the physical health. Uh, so now the integration seems to be kind of reaching a critical, uh, critical mass. Uh, but it's a really good question. You know, one of the things that we want to do on, on this podcast is to really highlight different talent and individuals with interesting backgrounds that can draw on that wisdom to look to, to help with decision-making frameworks for, for people as they, as they come into those decisions in their lives. When you think about the work that you do as a clinical psychologist, and in, in particularly interacting with people who need that type of support, what decisions are they having to make in their everyday lives that we probably wouldn't know about? I don't know if there's a catch-all for every individual because all of us have challenges we face and have unique backgrounds that we come from that make those decisions uh, uniquely challenging. Um, so part of it is examining why that that decision making may be tough and helping individuals separate out the different parts of themselves that may be competing or causing them to make certain decisions, which may be serving them in a certain way, but not in the way that they ultimately wish to grow. Right. So you may have clients, you, you gentlemen are in the financial world that are great savers. They're great at holding yeah. on to things. They're great at protecting but then you talk to them about investment and risk and their eyes start to start to gloss over. And that can be based on that can be cultural, that can be intergenerational. Uh, you know, it can be, uh, you know, really keyed in the fear around money or scarcity. So helping to break those patterns first, it's, uh, you know, they're coming. I assume there's hidden obstacle or wall where this no longer is working for them or it's causing a conflict in a relationship uh, and where it's causing them some distress. Right. The level where they reach out is usually a level where it's been brought up or it's come up enough times where it's like, maybe now's the time that I see I need some support to break through this and make better decisions or different decisions. Do you, do you see their situation as a result of a, a history of poor decision making or these folks that have really fallen into uh, unfortunate circumstances through no fault of their own that just need help with better decision-making frameworks. You know, it, you know, it depends. I'm picturing two different kinds of individuals, you know, and you have the uh, gentleman who's on skid row or who's been to a forensic uh, psychiatric institute, and you look at some of the crimes they've committed. You take those individuals, and this is just my experience, off of drugs, off the street, and have them in treatment and in a safe environment with a lot of care, their decisions are completely different. Number one, they have support, right? They have treatment teams, they have skills being taught to them. So their thought process about everything from riding the bus to going to a meeting to going on an outing, everything is thought through in a different way. So I think the trouble is when we see someone at that level, if they're deep in addiction and homeless, and they're not operating from this place of being grounded or connected or safe. They're literally living in this, you know, fight or flight state all the time. Very hard to trust your decision making, right? Because it's just about survival. Nathan 
seen a lot of times like the the purpose of life is to suffer and someone who is suffering is uh you know you ask them what the point of life is and they're going to very quickly tell you <laughs> they know the meaning of life um <laughs> right and some for, i mean you know just my experience working with more and more men it becomes a like a badge of honor we take yeah. it on depending and, and and there may be you know women out there that do this too but the tendency to take it on to internalize it and just carry it. Well, that's my job. I carry the I carry the weight. Yeah. I carry the burdens of my father. I carry the burdens of my culture, and and I'm supposed to just hold it. And we think, well, I'm just going to keep carrying on in the face of it. But our bodies feel that pain. Our emotions feel that pain. Uh, and trying to pretend that we're not feeling, it, uh, you know, beings is I think where a lot more suffering occurs. going to some physical therapy for a while and there was a uh, doctor who was helping me he said sean i'm going to give you some things for you to do on your own so that you don't have to come back here uh he goes you know you can come back here and i can fix this but if you'll do these things it will it will help and my guess is that when you engage with somebody who's needing that sort of uh professional help They've already reached a point where they recognize the help. There are things that you're helping them recognize that help them make an appropriate decision for themselves. Are there things that you share with them that say, hey, keep this one in your, you know, in your back pocket, keep this one in mind. This can be helpful for recognition that you're moving into a phase that might be unhealthy. And this is something you can do. Is there something you did like that? It incorporates uh, the individual's experience, right? The model that I use is comes from, uh, you know, a practitioner named Peter Levine and his book, Waking the Tiger, which is about a called somatic experience. So when my clients, I'm, I'm helping them individually notice how stress appears in your body. So if, if for my client, you know, they're getting triggered in a certain way, I want to help them realize what do they need to do to reset their body? What things can help them? step away, notice when stress is coming on, notice when they're feeling big things. For them, anxiety or sadness may start to show up in the stomach or tightness of the chest or tightness of the shoulders. I want to help them, even if you're an ER physician and all you have is three minutes between the ER and your office, what are the ways in which you can be present with yourself, with your body to help let it know that you are releasing some of the stress and that you're under stress, right? So just like metaphors from sports I love to use, just like a batter in the batter's box, right, who goes up there with a the plan and somebody throws a first pitch curveball and makes him look bad, you may need to step out of that box. You may need to reset your batting gloves. You may need to reset mm. your vision. Take a breath. It takes only 15 seconds, right? But inside, internally, it feels like an eternity of just giving yourself permission. Yes. Like you said, reset the thought process. What's my decision tree? Bring in the breath now. This sounds simplistic, but to incorporate these three things in real time takes practice. So ideally, I love it when a client says to me, hey, I've been using what we worked on, right? I was in this meeting, I was with the same, you know, coworker or with my spouse and the same thing came up and I was able to make a different decision because I was able to be there for me first. 
I was able to tune in and therefore I was able to be present in a less reactive way or less triggered way. And, you know, I love it when clients say to me that they don't need me anymore at that stage, right? The idea is not to create a dependency, like you said, on the physical therapist, great as it is, we give you the massage and everything. It's like, right, if I know the tools to take care of my body every day at whatever stage to heal, to feel good. That, that's really powerful. You know, I, I've been fired from a few therapists myself, and it doesn't ever feel good. I'm like, oh, come on, man. I'm, I'm not like a black belt at this yet. Like, you know. I got it, but I, but I'll go to this therapist. I'm like, I gotta like work on this thing, and then you know, sure, a few months later, alrighty. So uh, you've been coming every week, um, maybe uh, maybe maybe monthly, maybe uh, maybe actually, you know, you're good. You know, wait, does that, is and, that getting uh, fired a, from the therapist, or is that graduating yeah, through and so. working through an issue? I get, I take offense to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I did. That's happened. It's happened more than once. I'm just so aware, you know, I'm just so, I've just mastered the art. Um, there's really no more self-improvement left for me. Is, yeah. Which is a brag. And also you, like, Oh, you're all good. You don't need to come here anymore for this, this sort a, of help. It's a brag and also a, a severe letdown for you because you gotta, you just gotta recognize that this is as good as we're going to get. Thanks for making the great decision to listen in to this week's episode highlight. If you want more of what you just heard, see the show notes for the full episode. As always, for the latest decision-making tips, find us on decidedlypodcast.com or on Instagram at decidedlypodcast. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter from the link in the show notes. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review as well. We read all of your comments, so if you learned some decision-making tips today, let us know. Until next time, this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.